Hello and thanks for your company here on Search for Truth, your Bible teaching broadcast with Bible teacher Brian Johnston. This time Brian continues our theme, Let's Get Real, by talking about how to experience reality in our prayer times. Over the next few weeks, Brian wants to bring greater authenticity into our Christian lives. And as uh, the weeks progress, we'll be considering Bible study, prayer life, home life, church life, and other aspects of what it means to be a true disciple. So let's go to Brian now to hear how to make our prayer times more real. Thanks, John. Suppose I was to ask you, what's your greatest need right now? What would you say? Of course, that'll depend on your circumstances right now. If you should be in a small church group, struggling to maintain a vibrant testimony amid a trickle of losses as other disciples give up, you might well say to me, our greatest need is to reverse the ebb tide of those leaving the local church. Or more positively, you could say, our need is to attract others by the quality of our lives of integrity. These answers, in the situations assumed, are perfectly understandable, if not fully justified. Others among you, facing up to the protracted, debilitating illness of a loved one, one for whom you're caring, might say, our greatest need is for a cure for this illness, so we can return to serving God as we did before. No one, of course, would criticise you for that. That's totally understandable. Some, experiencing God's blessings, might feel that what they need is his guiding wisdom in the responsible stewardship of the blessings they're enjoying. Whatever your situation, I'd like to ask you to consider if there could be an even deeper need. On further reflection, might we agree that our deepest need is to know God better and to have a greater sense of God in our lives? Jim Packer and doubtless others have written that prayer is the measure of a person. If we're measured by our prayers, then how small does that make us feel? The practice of prayer in our crowded daily lives can slip into the mundane, routine run of things, a tired, repetitive reeling off of a list of those whom we know to be sick. And that's perfectly correct, of course. But are they the only ones that we think stand in need of prayer? Just how unimaginative is our appreciation of God's grace? Suppose we were to make a list of all the sick people that it's recorded that the Apostle Paul prayed for. It's not a long list, is it? Whenever Paul brought people to mind, say in his opening greetings in one of his Bible letters, he demonstrated a keen insight into God's grace in the lives of his friends. If he caught them expressing genuine love to each other, Paul rightly saw that as an outflow of God's grace in their lives. Instinctively, it seems, he bowed his head and thanked God for that, and then asked that it would become more and more evident in their lives. If, as he wrote, he understood his friends had their backs to the wall against extreme persecution, his first reaction wasn't to ask God for the immediate removal of that fierce opposition. No, Paul had a mature insight into God's ways of grace, learnt, of course, in first-hand personal experience. And Paul reminds them that recompense was on its way, but his immediate response was to bend his knee in prayer with thankfulness that their endurance was a display of their God-given worthiness as those called into God's kingdom. And this was something that was a tangible witness to the world at large. 
When Paul writes to a young pastor struggling to navigate a myriad pastoral dilemmas, it's as if his quill starts to flow with golden ink as he turns it all into praise, praise of God as the eternal King, the only wise God, who's the source of the wisdom and everything else that the young pastor needed. For those in any affliction, Paul prayed that they'd sense the closeness of God, his comfort, as he talked of it, and we understand that the gist of this comfort, as Paul's precise selected word makes clear, is that it comes from the Lord coming alongside us. For Paul, Christianity could be summed up as God's grace seen as faith working through love in the Christian community. He was always on the lookout for signs of it in the everyday lives of his friends, and this gave him large scope for his prayers. We see Paul's spirituality shining through his prayer concerns, often bringing together in the varied texts of our Bibles the repeated themes of his joy, his thankfulness and his prayers for a more abundant grace. In short, as you've guessed, I find myself in agreement with Packer that our prayer agenda is the measure of our spirituality. Where I'm leading to in all of this is to make the point that Bible-informed praying will be our best guide to help us, like Paul, to enlist goals in prayer that are more according to God's will and more in accord with his purposes, more in line with his values, more in conformity with his character, while all the time claiming his promises. Getting to know God better and praying better are things that belong together, Another way of saying that is to say that prayer is a fruit born out of our relationship with God. We'd expect that, wouldn't we? After all, at a human level, in our relationships, think of how your conversation with a long-standing friend with whom you've shared many experiences is so much more enriching and interesting than a fleeting conversation with someone you hardly know. In that latter circumstance, how can the communication be anything other than superficial? At best, a a polite and brief formality. So if our greatest need is to know God better, and this corresponds with praying better, let's see if the Lord will use Paul's Bible writings to bring us that blessing, shall we? Paul was a veteran prayer warrior. What does he teach us about the place of prayer in our lives? The Lord's public prayers on earth included the benefit of instructing others. He tells us that. And I believe he uses Paul's recorded prayers for that same purpose too. Let's take, as an example, a prayer of Paul's as it's recorded in Second Thessalonians and the first chapter, the first dozen or so verses. I'm going to read from the ESV, but at one point I'm going to share the NIV. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. 
they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, and the NIV says there, with this in mind, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfil every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, from that, I want us to observe the structure Paul had in mind there, to quote or paraphrase the beginning of verse 11 as we did. In keeping with our earlier general remarks about Paul's prayer habits, Paul had begun with thankfulness for signs of grace, such as their growing faith and their increasing love. Another outstanding feature of this prayer, and one that we can surely learn from, is how Paul models for us how to reflect eternity's values. Prayer isn't simply about the here and now. We are conversing with the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. It really helps us to set out problems in the light of eternity as we order our prayer before God. Just the discipline of doing that often opens the door for the answering shift of perspective that is our basic need. There follows an example in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 of Paul offering a petition for his friends to become worthy of their calling and of God's name and his love for them. How might we generalise this? Isn't it basically a prayer about becoming all that we were not when the gospel reached us? Notice, this is not a prayer about God helping us to be successful, helping us to be healthy, etc. How shallow these requests are. How they expose our small view of God. Lord, enlarge our prayers, we might say. What we really need is to become such persons now that we'll avoid shame at the future judgment seat of Christ. We can also follow Paul by requesting that God may facilitate our faith-prompted desires, bringing before him those neighbours we're witnessing to, or that mission trip that's coming up. Finally, we end with the desire that God, not us, will be admired. It's about winning glory for him, not me. One coming day, we will be glorified, that is, we'll be perfectly holy at last, when we'll be just like him. That's God's long-term good and personal plan for each of us. So why shouldn't we pray about its progress much more often in our prayers now? Surely we'd give up praying, and Christianity itself, if we don't keep this perfected goal in sight. The discipline and joy of prayer is that it keeps this perspective uppermost in our minds when temporary disappointments come. I heard about a long-distance swimmer swimming in fog and she gave up exhausted, and then discovered she'd very nearly reached her goal after all. What a different outcome if the sun had been shining. She'd have seen the end point drawing ever nearer and wouldn't have given up with only a short distance still remaining. Prayer is vital in our lives because it's what keeps the end in sight for us. I want to finish off on an even more practical note. I'm writing this in the Philippines when almost on a daily basis, in terms of the making of practical arrangements, I see my friends failing to plan and so planning to fail. So we need to plan to pray. Set a definite time. Don't just say later. The devil will make sure you won't find the time. He simply delights in seeing that our schedule gets too pressurised so that we've got a legitimate excuse not to pray. 
It's vital for him that we don't pray. Even in private, it's good to vocalise our prayer, as it tends to help us from drifting off into some daydream. As a suggestion, based on what we've been saying, have you ever tried praying through the Psalms? Ambrose described them as a gymnasium for the soul. For added accountability, pray occasionally with a partner. And don't forget to make notes, prayer lists, etc. A final word, because I know from experience it can sometimes be hard to get started, like trying to get a fire to kindle. The old Puritans used to say, pray until you pray. In other words, like an athlete pushing through the pain barrier, push yourself beyond dryness, beyond formalism. Don't just, as it were, ring the doorbell and then run away. Thanks, Brian. Now, I hope that uh, you'll find Brian's talk helpful uh, for your prayer life. And if there's a comment or question you have after listening today, do please get in touch. I'll be giving you the contact details shortly if you've a pen and paper to hand. The talk you've heard today is also available to download via the internet in audio or text format. Simply ask for Get Real, and you can do this by email or by post, and here's our address. Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wootton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY, UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. So many thanks for listening today. Very best wishes from our Bible teacher Brian, our technician David, our singers and me John. So bye for now and may God richly bless you. Never be discouraged.